My wife and I um, recently just became the campus pastors in Turlock. Now, if you know anything about Turlock, you've probably driven through it, and that's all you know about Turlock, right? It's a different place. Uh, my wife and I just recently moved from Chicago, so we have gone like night and day transition. Major city, all the best food you want in the world. You, could, you always got something to do to Turlock. And I don't know what God is doing, but he's doing something. If I would be honest with you, we were not open to the idea of going there. We did it as a pleasantry to a pastor that we know, but as we drove through the city, God began to give us a burden for a people group. God began to give us a vision for what he could do in the Central Valley, a place that, honestly, we didn't know if it would even accept us. I'm not going to wear no cowboy boots, and I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't know. There's just a different way of living in the Central Valley. But there's something that I've learned in being there these last seven months. The Central Valley is where so much of agriculture has grown for the whole nation, quite honestly. And as I drive through the, the country roads, I'm just reminded as I see just fields and fields and fields of, of almonds and walnuts and cherries and, and olives and just all these things. There's oranges everywhere and lemons everywhere. I find myself thinking, Lord, I'm living in a garden. I went from a city to now a garden. And this garden is just filled with life. It's, it's filled with soil. It's filled with, with bugs and the smell of cows and all these things that I'm not familiar with and I don't know about, but yet you've called me to the, be in this place, Lord. I'm in this garden. You know, and gardens are something I've, I've studied and learned a little bit because my congregation teaches me. They're like, Pastor, we're going to tell you a little bit about gardening. And the first thing that they told me is a garden is a place where things grow. A garden is a place where there once was not something, but a healthy garden, then there becomes something. A garden is a place of cultivation. It's a place where you sow seeds and you wait. You tend to it. You water the seeds. You make sure the atmosphere and the environment is such a way that life can begin to spring up. That all of a sudden that little seed would turn into a sprout. And that sprout would turn into a stalk. And that stalk would then produce a fruit, would produce something that gives life to something else. Gardens are very powerful. And I believe much of our lives as believers and our prayer life really is like that of a garden. You and I's prayer life is like that of a garden. That it should be a place that gives life. It should be a place where something once was not, but because we continue to sow seeds, now there is. And so I want to talk to you about a very important garden tonight. I want to talk to you about Jesus's favorite place to go. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 46, and it says this, then Jesus with his disciples, uh, went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here a while while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and be, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Reading a little bit more, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but what? But the flesh is weak. 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to disciples and said to him, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. And the Son of Man has been delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Father, we just pray right now over these next moments that we have together, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears to receive what the Spirit of God is saying. Lord, let our lives and let our prayer lives, Lord, be like that of a garden, teeming with life that produces life for others, Lord. We bless you. In your name we pray. Amen. The title of this message today is Get to the Garden. You and I need to make sure that we are getting to that place, that garden place, that we're getting to that prayer closet place. See, what oftentimes can happen in our lives when we experience trials or hardships, or especially in the church, especially around people of faith, we, we find ourselves frequenting the garden less and less. We find ourselves praying less and more now reasoning with our own logic. Just wait for a good problem to happen. We can pray when life is good, but when it gets bad, sometimes we start trying to figure it out ourselves. And so I want to just say one thing to you today is you need to get to the garden. Before you make that next decision, before you let your attitude or your feelings or your friends tell you otherwise, you better get to the garden because Jesus did. It says that Jesus took his disciples to the garden of Gethsemane. Now, it's important to understand this is at the end of Jesus' career or ministry career, I should say. He's about to leave the earth. He's had his final supper. He's told them about who's going to betray him. He's washed their feet. He's he's had his final meal, and he says, look, before I go to the cross, there's one more thing I need to do. I need to get to the garden. And he takes them to Gethsemane. You know what's fascinating about this place is Gethsemane means the oil press. The word Gethsemane means the oil press or the crushing place. This was Jesus, if you study the life of Jesus, this was his favorite place to go. He constantly retreated to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and to seek the Father. And so what we find about our Savior is that he found comfort in a place that was crushing. He found comfort in a place that would press you. The olive press, you can't get olive oil unless you press those olives. And so here's the thing about what what does oil represent in the Bible? Well, oil represents anointing. You don't get access to anointing unless you go through the garden of pressing. See, prayer and the garden will press you in ways, but it'll produce something out of your life. It'll produce a level of oil and anointing that you could not get if you went around it. Jesus found comfort in an uncomfortable place. The best leaders, the most mature Christians are those who can deal with tension who can deal with ambiguity, who can deal with, ah, I got to wrestle with this, and there's real issues happening with real people. If there's one thing I know about this church is you are real people because you have a real pastor. Not a perfect pastor, not a pastor that that puts on the makeup and makes everything look like ain't nothing stink around here because life can be messy. But, oh, if you can go to the pressing place, God can produce something out of your life, something that you could not get on your own. It was in the garden, in the oil press, in the oil crushing. But we see as Jesus is getting to the garden, 
like any good leader would, he takes some people with him. The Bible says that he takes the disciples to the garden, and leaving them there, he goes a little bit further. There's three layers. We need to pay attention to this. The first layer are the 11 disciples of Jesus. Now, how many disciples are there? There's 12, but only 11 made it. There's 12, but only 11 made it. Before we go any further, some people don't make it to the garden. Because while he's taking them to the garden, what is Judas out doing? Oh, he's going ahead and securing that money. He's securing the betrayer that's about to come get him. He's getting the guards and the army ready that those who would come with armed forces coming to secure Jesus and arrest him, he's getting them ready while the 11 get to the garden. First thing you got to know is, are you even accepting the invitation? Or have you disqualified yourself and you're out doing something else? In a difficult season that a church might experience, are you getting to the prayer closet? Are you getting to the garden? Or are you out in the parking lot already? Just because something got real. So Jesus invites the 11 to the garden, but then something happens. It says that he takes Peter and the sons of Zebedee and he goes a little bit further. Now watch this. The moment that he goes a little bit further, he says something. His, his countenance changes. He had said to them, meaning those three, Peter, James, and John, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus, as he went deeper into the garden, so he also went deeper in his vulnerability of what he was experiencing. With those that he knew he can entrust that had the maturity to see his humanity. He couldn't act that way with the eleven. But as soon as he left the rest of the eight there and he got with just the inner three, the ones that were closest to him, he's like, y'all, I just got to tell you, I'm struggling right now. I'm sorrowful to the point of death. My soul is troubled. Would you pray for me? That's the second layer right there is the inner three. The only difference between them is proximity to Jesus. See, in the garden moment, we all want to be those in the inner three, but it wasn't that one moment that got them into the inner three. It was the three years of ministry with him that got them access. So here he is with the inner three, confessing what he's, the burdens he is carrying. But can I tell you, there's another layer to your garden because you can, you can bring some of your acquaintances, but they can't go with you to that next level. You can have some close friends, but wait, there's another layer of deeper that, in the garden that God wants to take you, and that's just you by yourself with God. The second he gets alone with the Father, what does he do? Now he's dropped to his knees. Now he's pleading with God, can you take this cup from me? But before he loses that breath, not my will be done, but your will be done. There were layers to his prayers in the garden based on how deep he went. And while he is in this place by himself, he is depending on his friends to be interceding on his behalf. There will be things, let me just tell you this, I'm not making this personal about your pastor, but there will be things and seasons where you're not going to see where God is taking him. He's going to be in that third layer, but God has an assignment for you in that middle layer to stay awake, to be watchful, the Bible says, to be praying. Let it not be said of us or you that when Christ returns, he sees you and I asleep. So Jesus is in this third layer. Jesus is in this deeper place, praying and asking God to deliver him from the cross. That's the cup that he has to bear. 
All of us have a cup. You and I, we all have a cup that we have to bear, but Jesus is pleading, God, will you take this cup from me? So we see these three layers. We see where he's going. He asked them, hey, why can't you keep watch? What does it mean to keep watch? It means to continually be alert. You know why you should have a prayer life? It will continue, continually keep you alert. Not to the things that you can see, but the things you cannot see. There is an alertness in your spirit that you can carry. There's a closeness. There's a, there's a watchfulness that God wants us to have that helps correct us at times, that helps use us to teach somebody else, to confirm something in someone else. But what happens when, 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 when wickedness takes place, it's because there was no one in the room that was being watchful. There was no one that was alert, sober-minded, but yet there was a room full of people asleep. Prayer is something that is going to keep you ready for the things in the spirit that the Lord wants to do, but also give you an alertness to the spirit of what the enemy is trying to do. But again, it comes in the oil press. We can't manufacture this on ourselves. You can't short-circuit prayer. I tell people this. Prayer is not a light switch. It's a lifestyle. You can't just turn that thing on and off. No, it's a lifestyle. It's the way you conduct yourself day by day. How you live. Do you confer with God or do you confer with yourself? Do you confer with God or do you confer with others first? Or do you let him have the first say in the matter? I believe that God is inviting the church as a whole into the garden. He's inviting us to, to go from being in that outer layer to get closer, to go deeper in our understanding of prayer, to go deeper in our understanding and dependence that, Lord, I can't just operate on what I can see in the natural. I need something supernatural. And what does that do? That prepares us for when we have to get alone with God. Your pastor can't go everywhere with you. Your prayer team can't go everywhere with you. Your mama and your daddy can't go everywhere with you. There are some places it's just you and God, and it will be uncomfortable, and some of us run from it because we know when we're alone with God, he ain't looking at nobody else but me. And that's intimidating at times. It's challenging at times. But we know there is something that happens in the garden when we are alone with God. So the first thing you had to understand, like I said, I didn't say this, but the garden gauges you. That's the whole point of it. It's gauging where you're at. It's showing you which layer you're in. All of us, there's four layers. Either we didn't make it to the garden, or with Judas. We're with the eight disciples who don't really know what's going on. Like, we, we was kind of there, but we were like the kids. We didn't know what was going on at the party, but we knew something was going on. Because auntie started talking, but we didn't know what happened. Or... Or, or we know what's going on because we're the inner three. We're part of, we're part of what makes things happen. Or there's that, that secret place that Jesus got. But the garden and your prayer life will gauge you where you're at. It'll reveal to you. It'll show you. It'll show you your maturity and your immaturity. It'll show you areas where you're not surrendered, areas that you're acting in rebellion or you're being prideful. It'll show you all of that stuff. And so some people choose to go the route of Jesus because they don't want to be measured. They don't want their gauge to be read. Come on, you ain't ever been there before where you're like, I, I ain't got no money to put in this gas tank, so I'm just going to cover up that, that I don't need to see that it's on me. I'm driving in faith. We don't want to see what it says. You've had your low tire pressure light on for six months. You still haven't got, got air in it. you just like, look, if it's, 
I saw this the other day. Someone posted something on, I don't know, TikTok, something. I don't have any of that. But they had check engine. They had every light I've ever seen on. But they found the perfect way that if you just move your steering wheel just right, you can't see nothing. And you're driving like it's all good. Some of us treat our spiritual life like that. We just like, let me just cover all that up. I know I got all that there, but let me just keep driving and pretend that that's not all going on down there. See, the garden will gauge you and show you where you're at. But not only will the garden gauge you, the garden, hear me, the garden gives you grace. You can't do what God wants you to do without the grace of God. Not your talent, not your skill, not your calling. No, no, no. You need the grace of God to do what he's called you to do. Three times we see Jesus come back to his disciples. It's interesting, though. He comes back three times, and in this entire uh, section of Scripture, only one person gets named. Peter. You ever been that person? There was multiple of y'all messing around, multiple of y'all talk, talking in the back of the church, but only your name got called? Yeah, you can relate to Peter. Peter was the one that got called out. It says that he took Peter and the sons of Zebedee to that middle place. When he comes back, hey, couldn't you men keep watch? He said to Peter, why has Peter got to get called out? Why has he got to get called out by his name? Why didn't you say James or John? Well, who did he promise that he was going to build his church on? See, some of y'all want to be called Peter, but you don't want to be called out in the garden. You want God to build something on your life and be the foundation or the rock in which other people are going to stand on, but he doesn't see you as stable enough because you won't allow him to call you out in the garden. But let me tell you, the garden gives you grace. Couldn't you men keep watch a little bit longer? Couldn't you pray for me, pray with me for the next hour? Jesus comes back to give grace. He comes back to give even Peter grace. Peter, in whom which he just left the dinner table with saying, hey, you're going to deny me. And in between that time and what's happening now, he knows the very next thing of Peter's life is going to be him denying Christ. He's going to cut off someone's ear in the middle of that. He knows exactly where Peter is at. And he calls him out by name. When it comes to learning how to be a person of prayer, it takes the grace of God because what happens is when we get a revelation of who we are and the guard engages us, at times it'll show us our tank's a little empty. And we can become discouraged. And we can begin to believe, I just can't do it. I can't press in anymore. I can't believe for that anymore. I want to tell you something. God is trying to remind you. He's giving you the grace to pray those prayers you used to pray. He's giving you the grace to believe again. Some of you used to pray for something and you don't pray for it anymore. You just slowly crept back and not believing that it's even possible. No, they just too far gone. They too messed up. It's been so long that they've been living that way or been in that situation. I prayed for so many years that God would take this away, and I've just accepted it. No, God wants to give you the grace to pray for that thing again. He wants to come back and remind you, hey, are you praying? Are you being watchful? Are you being alert in how you're living your life? Are you being sober-minded? He wants to give you the grace to pray for the things that you have stopped praying for. Grace to start once again, but it starts when we allow the garden, the atmosphere in the garden to grow on us. So look, I told y'all, I'm from the big city. I don't do all this gardening and all this stuff, but I'm trying to be a, a pastor of the people. So I'm out, I got my lawn, I got my yard, I'm trying to, you know, I'm mowing my lawn, and I'm realizing I'm getting things wrong. 
because I got neighbors coming up to me saying, hey, uh, I saw you out there trying to do that over there. Um, you think I can help you? Yes, you can help me. How are you? What's your name? All right, my neighbor's name is Bob. And um, Bob's a little nosy, but that's all right. He's nosy, but he's helpful. I was in the backyard, and I have all this yard work and all this. All, I'm overwhelmed by the garden. I don't know what to do with all this dirt, all these weeds, all this green, all these. I got grapevines in my backyard. I ain't grapevines. What do I do with grapevines? And I'm yelling at my wife. I'm not at my wife. I'm yelling to my wife. I'm telling her I'm in the back. I don't yell at my wife. I'm talking to my wife loudly because I'm outside. She's inside. And I'm, and I'm <laughs> let, me, let me get that straight for y'all online. Don't come for me. I don't yell at my wife. And I'm telling her, what I don't know what I need to do. I'm like, I don't know how to do all this. Well, nosy Bob is listening into my conversation with my wife. Two minutes later, he comes by. Hey, do you need, my, you, need my, you need this tool and that tool and this tool? He's giving me all these tools. He's equipping me with every. I'm like, Bob, God bless you. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you even do it. I'll, don't even worry about it. Just go back in the house. I'll get it done for you. See, when you decide to immerse yourself in the garden, it, get, it begins to grow on you a little bit. It begins to come a part of you a little bit. I'm pastoring in an area that's unfamiliar territory to me, if I'm honest with you. But what I've learned is that if I hug the culture, the culture will hug me back. In the same way, God will grace you in your prayer life to endure the things that you need to endure. Let it grow on you. Let it become one with you. Let there be residue that you've been in the garden. You should have some dirt on your knees, under your fingernails. There should be some moss growing on your shoulder. There should be residue that you have been in the garden, that you've been around things that are living and that are growing and that are life-giving. The garden wants to give you and I the grace that we need, and Jesus is exemplifying this and showing us this through the disciples. He's showing it through his own life up until this point. This is, this is Jesus' weakest moment. His weakest moment. He's endured a lot. People trying to kill him. People upset at him. His parents, his, fam his family, like, nah, that ain't, he ain't really who he says he is. Haters, doubters, all. He's experienced all of it. But it's in this moment where he finally has this, this breaking of his humanity of like, wow, I know what is about to happen. I know I'm about to endure the cross. And I love that he's in the place where he would frequently pray to God. And that right before he endures his hardest, season. He's found praying, asking for the grace to do what God has called him to do. He's found praying. So the garden is our gauge. The garden gives us grace, but the garden causes us to grow. I say it, and I'll say it, and I'll keep saying it. Healthy things grow, and growing things change. Healthy things grow, and growing things change. As soon as something stops growing, you start looking at it like, hey, is it healthy? Is it good? Like, that's, if, I, if, if my son is this, if he was the same size that he was when he was born, I mean, you know, there would be a problem. He's three years old. He shouldn't be the same size. In fact, when, when, when he was first born, when you're in the hospital, nurses are constantly coming in, checking this. They want to check his weight. Has he, got, you know, has he peed? Has he pooped? They want to check his weight. Is he eating? Is he easy? Is he eating? Because they know that his weight should be going up and not down. Because healthy things grow. Growing things change. That's why a church should never be the same. It should always be changing. Because that means it's healthy. That's why when someone says, I just like how it used to be. That's just how we do it. No, what you like is stale and dead. I don't know, there's all these new people here. It just doesn't seem the same. No, no, no. It's healthy because it's changing. It's growing. Healthy things change, 
or healthy things grow, growing things change. So the garden is meant to grow you. I love this story that we see in the, in the Bible because it shows us the power of prayer. Jesus, what I would call, he goes from being a sorrowful soul. What does he say? My soul is troubled. I have sorrow to the point of death. He becomes from a sorrowful soul to a strengthened Savior in one prayer session. One prayer session. He goes from on the ground, on his knees, Lord, take this cup from me. So you know what? Hey, y'all, get up. Let's go. My betrayer's here. It's time. Rise. Get up. Let's go. How do you go from the place of saying, God, I can't do it. Lord, it's too much. I'm overwhelmed. I need you to take this from me. And then all of a sudden, with an encounter with God, now you're like walking to that very thing that you were trying to run from. He's walking towards the cross. He's not running from it. Something transpired in that garden, and I think it's circled around the cup, and the musicians can come. There's this cup that Jesus is referencing. Would you take this cup from me? Not my will, but your will be done. Like I said, all of us have a cup. Cup is burdens in life, hardships, challenges. Your cup could be part of the the fact of just the family you were born into. I don't know what your cup is, but we all have a cup that we have to bear. Might be your own pride. Might be your own dysfunctions, but we have a cup that we have to bear in life. His cup was you and my sin. That's what his cup was. So whenever you think your cup's really bad, just remember, his cup was paying the price for all the things we've done wrong. And he finds himself asking God to take this cup away. Now, when I read that, I'm a, one of the things that happened to me when I moved to Chicago is I became a coffee snob. I'll be honest with you. I'm super bougie about coffee, and it's just, I don't know what happened to me, but it happened. And so I would constantly and consistently, we'd just go to coffee shops just to try it. I want to try this new spot. I want to go to this place. And I'd be like, Psh, I'm never going to Starbucks. Y'all nasty. You just like this burnt coffee. I got real bougie with it. And going to all these different coffee shops, getting coffee all the time, they give them to you in a coffee mug. You guys following me? Coffee mug? You know what it is? I don't have one. I'll show you. But you know, everyone knows what a coffee mug is. It's that thing that your friends always give you too many of and you got way too many in your house you're trying to get rid of and your mom keeps buying them for you. Jesus says, take this cup from me. And I was, I was thinking about, when I was reading this, I was thinking about a coffee mug because I, I, I have them every day. I get one, I make my coffee, boom. Have you ever held a cup and it was way too hot to hold and you started burning your hands? You do that, that weird thing where you're trying to give it to somebody real quick before it's starting to burn your hands, right? But there's this beautiful invention on a coffee cup, and what is it called? The handle. Some of y'all with me? And if you hold that hot cup of coffee that you would burn your hands if you touch the outside of the cup, but if you use the handle to hold it, what happens? you good. You can carry that thing wherever you need to go. You can now bear the burdens of that cup because you're holding it in the right place by using the handle. See, what I believe that happens in the garden is you and I go into this prayer place, we go into this garden place, and we come to realize the cup that we have to bear. And it looks and it feels way too hot to handle. It's overwhelming. We don't know how we're going to get through it. We don't know how we're going to endure it. You might have just got laid off from your job. Your family member might have just passed away. I don't know what it is, but you're looking at this cup and you're saying, God, I can't endure the cup. But what happens when we go to the garden and we allow prayer to change and mold us, we gain the wisdom to fashion a handle. 
we gain the understanding to know where and how we should hold that very cup, how we should view it, how we should handle it, and what God is supposed to take responsibility for and what we're supposed to take responsibility for. You feel burned when you're trying to hold something you weren't meant to hold. Nobody looks at a coffee cup with a handle and thinks I'm supposed to hold it from the bottom. No, you know what that handle's for. And so God wants to help all of us as we go to the prayer place. And can I just throw this out there if, it does, if it's not clear? You should have a routine with how you commune to God, with God. You should have a place. A place where you go, a place where you can be distraction-free. A place where he can have all of your attention. A place where you can be alone with him. I remember growing up, I, the first church I ever went, I went to, I didn't grow up in church. I tell people I grew up heathen. I was bad. My best friend across the street, Filipino family, his mom would always invite me to church. She'd, they'd have a potluck after every, every Sunday service, and so she would promise me they're going to feed me, so I'd go. And some of y'all, it's really that easy to get people to church. And so I would go to church, and I started, and it was all Tagalog service. They didn't even have the service in English. I was 12 years old. I was just like, I'm just going to go to church because these people are feeding me. And after I'd go to church a few times, and, you know, I didn't know what they were saying, but I would, I, I recognized um, some of the leaders, and a friend of mine, his dad, was one of the pastors. And I didn't know, I didn't know this at the time, but I, I didn't connect the dots, I should say. So we'd, we'd be playing outside just as kids growing up. And there would always be this time where his dad would go outside and their bus, they had a busted up minivan in the, that would park in front of their house and their dad would just sit in the minivan. And I always thought he was out there watching us to see what trouble we were getting into. I was like, man, why does your dad always go out in the minivan by himself multiple times during the day? And my friend had five siblings, so they had a big household. And it wasn't until later on in life I realized he was going out to his van to pray. He would open up his Bible, he would put it on the dashboard, he would read his word, and he would just pray to God in his car. Because he couldn't, he couldn't get it in his house. There's too many kids, there's too many things going on, all these things. And so he found a place where he can commune with God. Do you have that place? Just real practical speaking. I was telling some people the other day, I said, you know, we set up our houses in such a way that, you know, this is clearly my bedroom, this is my place of peace, and I want it comfortable, and I want it set up the way I like it set up. Right, you go into people's houses and they have their living room and you can tell what the focus is. They got the big TV, they got the surround sound system, they got the, the nice couch and it's like, this is the room for entertainment. Next time you go in your friend's house, say, where's, where's the room at where you meet with God? Where's the space at? You designed this whole room for your entertainment, but did you design a room for you to hear from God? You know what would be powerful if we all, I'm not saying we got many rooms in our house. I know y'all in the Bay Area, it's a stretch, look. It's a struggle, I get it. But what if instead of a room that was focused around a TV, there was just a table in the room? And there was highlighters, and there was pencils, and there was books, and there was Bibles, and there was journals. And when people came over your house, they said, what's that right there? Is that, you work from home? No, that's not, that's not my workspace. That's, that's where I commune with God. That's where I pray. That's where I grow. That's where I study the Word of God. That's the level that God wants to take his people, his church, to a place of maturity, to a place where we can walk into a situation 
sorrowful, discouraged, beat up, not knowing what we're going to do, and walk out and say, hey, I'm ready to face today. I'm holding my cup by the handle. And that's the only thing I'm touching. And God, I'm letting you touch everything else. Let the garden be a gauge to you. I don't know what season of life you're in privately. I know your pastor has mentioned a season of life that you're going through corporately. The antidote or the the medicine is the same. It's not what can we think in our mind. It's not what we can talk about. It's what we can hear from heaven. It's what we can receive from God. It's what can happen if we just all, first of all, accept the invitation. This is what I want to do. I'm going to ask you if you would just rise to your feet with me. Because some of you, God is is looking for different things. There are some, he's saying, hey, look, son, daughter, you just need to accept the invitation and get there. You just need to get there. You need to show up. Others, he's like, hey, you've been here for a while. Why, Why haven't you gone deeper? Why haven't you accepted the fact that you're in a pressing place, a pressing season, a season that is trying to squeeze something out of you, but it's gonna produce life in you? You're in that middle space. But you know, your eyes are heavy. Kind of nodding off. You're like, Pastor, it's getting late. Service gone a little long. What does he say? He says what? Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You are made up of flesh and spirit. That's it. The spirit of God that's in you is willing, wants to see you have victory. Wants to see you know how to deal with your burdens, but the flesh is like, I ain't ain't got time for that today. The flesh is always wanting to tap out. Too soon. I tell people, you know how you in the flesh, or you know what the flesh looks like? I got kids. It's real easy. It's four in the morning. You haven't slept for three days, or maybe three months, if you got my kids. And you're holding a screaming baby, and your spouse says something to you. It's dark. You can't see them. You just hear a voice saying something to you. And they probably said it in love, but that's not how you heard it. And so you start, you know, what'd you say? Hold on, hold on. Hold on, I got a baby in my hand. I got to hold on. What'd you say? Right, the flesh can creep on us real quick. Real quick. But we need to be reminded that the Spirit is willing. The Spirit of God is willing in your life to move in such a way that you would not be overwhelmed with your sorrows, you would not be overwhelmed with your burdens or your complications or all the many things that you have to go through, but yet you can embrace it and say, not my will, but your will be done. It's a sign of maturity to plead the will of God over your own will. So to some of you who are in that middle place that God is like, look, I'm trying to get you to wake up. You've made it here, but getting here is not enough got to participate you know it's like people that have struggles um there's this new pattern i don't know if you know this pastor pastor dell and pastoring people where uh recognizing bad behavior in their life is like that's enough like i'm gonna stop right i I recognize i got a problem yeah i do that a lot you're right Mm -hmm. i got awareness now to see that and they're like i'm glad i got that off my chest okay cool you you can see it now but we got, we got to do something with it. We can't just acknowledge it. Like, culture's gotten really good. Before, we didn't acknowledge anything. We hid everything. Now we're, like, worshiping this acknowledgement. I can acknowledge I'm broken. 
I'm, I can acknowledge I got daddy issues. I can acknowledge this and that and all these things. But it's like, God's like, hey, yeah, like, that's still not healthy. You still got to deal with it and get out of that place. So today, you might be in this middle spot and you can acknowledge you're here, but you're asleep. Well, what is going to wake you up? What's going to take you to that place to go deeper? It's preparing you to get to a place where you're alone with him. You see how the crowd slowly begins to shrink in this portion of scripture? 12 turns to 11, 11 turns to 3, 3 turns to 1, 4, 4 to 1. I believe there's a place that God wants to take you corporately as a church. Corporately as a church. To that middle spot where you can be communing one with another in such a way that is family, it's the inner circle. I think there's some of you that you feel like you're on the outside. But God's saying, no, really, I've called you to be here. I've called you to be a part of solutions. I've called you not to just point out problems, but to be the solution to that problem. To not just call out needs, but to be the one that would meet that need in the right season, in the right place, in the right time. This is what I want to do. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would help us to be people of prayer. That before we consult our opinions, before we consult all of our friends, that we would first consult the Holy Spirit. That prayer would not just be something that we do randomly. It might not, it's not just something we do 30 seconds before we go to bed or right before we eat a, a meal. But it's, a, it's an active lifestyle of, of living in this space. Alertness. I don't know about you, but I, I hate being, I hate not seeing something. Like it gets me. I'm like, man, they got me. I didn't see that. How did I not see that? There was wool pulled over my eyes. I missed it. But the more you and I are in the spirit, the more we're in the garden, the more we have an alertness. So would you just close your eyes? I just want to pray for you. Whether you find yourself here tonight and you are, let's be real, maybe you're, you're not even at the garden. You haven't even accepted the invitation. I want to pray for you tonight that you would say yes to join Jesus and others. That you would join those in this room. You would join those that called Collide their home. You would join your pastor and say, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to get to the garden. I'm going to get to the place where I'm going to be tested and tried and crushed, but it's going to produce something in my life that is of God for the glory of God. I want to pray for those that, hey, you've been coming. You just barely showed up. You're part of the eight. You're there, but you're not doing anything. You've been here for weeks. You come, but you're not truly engaged in community. You're not truly connected to the body. I want to pray for you that you would say yes to going deeper. And then there's those inner three. There's Jesus' closest friends, that he is entrusting them to be watchful. And this is where I really feel like Collide is supposed to represent for the body of Christ, capital C, in the Bay Area, that you are supposed to be a watchful people. You are supposed to be spirit-filled, spirit-led people that eyes are open to what God is doing and what the enemy is doing. That you are supposed to represent the vision of God to see and to know, to be on guard and be alert 
for any demonic scheme or tactics of the enemy that would try to attack the bride of Christ. I believe that's what this church has been called to be. Through the leading of your pastor, through the unity of the body, to be watchful. That's corporately. And lastly, I want to pray for you privately, that you would get alone with God, fully surrendered, fully broken, fully vulnerable, transparent, fully opened up to him in such a way that you could say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in my life. So Jesus, right now, we thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing by your Holy Spirit. I know in a room like this, God, in a room this size, there can be so many various people in various places. But Lord, I just pray for all of us. God, help us to show up. Help us to show up to our prayer closet. Help us to show up to an appointment with you to talk to the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who does not just uh, listen from a distance, but Lord, you say in your word that you incline your ear to us. You lean in to hear from your children. God, help us to show up today and the next day and the next day. Lord, let us be found that we were faithful, God. Faithful, Lord, to being people of prayer, not people of opinions. To being people that seek your face, not just seek your hand. Lord, I pray that you would take this church deeper. That, Lord, there would be a level of embracing the olive press, embracing the grind, the pressure, because they would know it's going to produce purpose out of their lives. Lord, I pray for a receptivity in this congregation, for teaching, for counsel, for correction, knowing that it is meant to produce, Lord, anointing for the glory of your name for the edification of your church. God, I pray that you would raise up a mighty army that would be those, Lord, found in the deepest place, broken, open, on their knees in the presence of an almighty God. And Lord, it will be there where you will give us the strength needed to walk out the calling and the good works, the good works, Lord, that you have prepared for us to do. And so, God, I pray that this house would be a house of prayer, would be a place for those that would come in new to the faith or walking with the Lord for years, but they haven't caught on to getting into the garden. Would this be a cultivating place for them? Would this be a healthy atmosphere with healthy soil and good water supply and plenty of sunlight, Lord, that there would be a great harvest that's going to come to the Bay Area? a great harvest that's going to come. Fruit and fruit that would remain, that would bring nourishment for generations to come, Lord. So, Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives and corporately in your bride. We thank you, God, and help us, Lord, to be those who would get to the garden. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank all of you guys for joining us for service or listening on YouTube. Really hope that it was a blessing to you. So if there's something you want to do after, if you want to take a next step, there's three steps you can do. First is get involved. If you want to serve, if you want to volunteer, or you just want to get to know us a little bit better, then go to thecollide.com slash interested so we can connect with you. Second is if you want to give. If you want to support what God's doing at Collide City Church financially, then we need your support. Then go to thecollide.com slash give. And last but not least, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, then you can go to thecollide.com slash salvation. 
and we want to connect with you. We want to be a part of your story. So it's all on the website. Thank you so much. Have a great week.